You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. I am <laughs> uh, glad that you all are here, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Uh, my name is Mitch Jones, and I am blessed to serve as one of your guys' community pastors. So... And I am super excited this morning to be kicking off our series on the harvest, which, like Josh said, is going to be a uh, three-week series where today I'm going to be talking to you guys about the soil. Next week, Carrie Gray is going to be bringing us an amazing message about the seeds. And then the week after that, Adam is going to be closing out the series with talking about the harvest itself. And like Josh talked about, the reason, part of the reason we're talking about harvest to begin with is it's kind of happening right now. Um, and there are tons of farmers all over the Palouse who are getting after it. They're working really long hours right now. Their social lives dying on the vine so that they can bring in as much harvest at its peak that they can. And whether you realize it or not, the harvest is impacting you as well. Like I said, all your farmer friends have officially disappeared for the next month. I'm sorry. They are still alive. They are just doing their job. Or if you're like me, then you might have some seasonal allergies. And like me, the Claritin right now just ain't cutting it. (laughs) But I don't want to go all the way to Benadryl because then I'm going to be sleepy all day and it's just going to be a whole mess for the next month as this delightful haze of dust and plant matter spews into the air as our farmers are hard at work. But harvest isn't something unique to the Palouse, and it's not unique to this time. It's something that's been going on since civilization has begun. Um, In fact, uh, the folks in the Bible would have actually been more familiar with the harvest, with agriculture, than we are by multiple degrees. In fact, back in biblical times, about 90% of the labor force, 90%, almost everybody was involved in agriculture, whether they are farmers or taking care of livestock. And this actually would have, and until the 1800s, just a couple years ago, you would have been more likely to be a farmer than to not be a farmer. This is, and for all of these folks who are involved in agriculture, for this 90% of people, The harvest is the pinnacle of the year. Like Mark said, it's payday. All of the time and effort that you have been putting out, all of the money you've invested, all of the tilling of the soil, all the watering, pulling of weeds, and the praying for rain (laughs) when, when you need it, and then praying for sunshine when you need it, all of that was coming to fruition with the harvest. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't really be surprised then that this critical time of the year, and for people back in biblical, in biblical times, this isn't just a payday. This is their lives on the line. This is the food they're going to eat for the year. Them, their family, their communities, all of this stuff is on the line. It's critical. And so then we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus enters the scene that he chooses to use this idea of harvest as a common image and metaphor for the coming of the kingdom. 
everything God had been leading up to, all of the work with Israel, with the prophets, with the, with the coming and goings of kingdoms, was leading up to Jesus. Jesus bringing this kingdom that is so radically different from everything of this world. It's a kingdom of hope and love instead of dominance and control. Everything was leading up to this. And when Jesus came, it was time for the first big harvest. It was, he was harvesting the seed money for the kingdom because kingdoms are built on harvest. Whether, whether we realize it or not, there's no society, there are no kingdoms, there are no cities, there are no towns before agriculture. None of the, everyone just ran around trying to survive before agriculture. It wasn't until harvest that we could get together and start building something great. And this kingdom that God was building, this was the first harvest of many that was going to happen again and again as this kingdom began to grow. And today, we're going to be focusing in on the soil. And the soil is actually really interesting and really important because the soil is the one part of a harvest, like Mark said, that, that farmers can actually impact when it comes to how fruitful their harvest is going to be. You may not be able to get control when the rain falls or when it's sunny or whether individual seeds to ger- choose to germinate, but you can control how soft the soil is if you're going to inject nutrients and fertilizer into it, whether you're going to remove the rocks and the weeds and all the nasty stuff out of there to make room for the harvest. And I think that this is something that Jesus was very aware of. He knew that in order for for you to have a great harvest, you need to start with having good soil. And so he actually starts with a parable, the first, the first parable that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, because John's the, the, the fun kid who likes to do his own thing. Um, all of them start with the same, all of them have this parable as earliest, and that's the parable of the sower, which is a very poor name for a parable that is all about the soils and has very little to do with the sower. But... Jesus starts with this parable of the sower because he realized how important the soils were for starting this kingdom. And so we're going to be looking at uh, the parable of the sower from Matthew 13 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, I'm going to give a little bit of background before we dive into the text. So Jesus is going, his, his ministry has started. He's going around preaching the word, performing miracles. He's beginning to build a little popularity and have a crowd around him. At this point, he's already given the Sermon on the Mount and talked about this new kingdom that he's bringing, this kingdom that's so different than that of the world. But there seems to be a problem. As he's teaching about this kingdom, as he's preaching and performing these miracles, people aren't seeming to get it. And they keep coming back with these questions of, hey, why aren't you doing this like I thought you were going to do this? Or why is this kingdom not like all the other kingdoms? You know, where's your army? Where are all these other things? And so, Jesus, realizing this is a problem, on one morning where the crowds have gotten so big that he actually has to hop into a boat and row out just a little bit so that his voice can skip across the water and reach everybody, he tells this parable. So starting in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. 
And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. See, when I first heard this story as a kid, I thought this was kind of weird. Like, what's the deal with this farmer? Like, is he just like going on an afternoon stroll and throwing seeds everywhere? Like, how efficient is this dude being? Like, what is going on here? This doesn't make sense. But as is so often the case, it's not because this farmer didn't know what he was doing. It's because I didn't understand the context. I don't know what first century farming looks like. And so let's take a look at what this may have actually looked like. So right here, I have a picture of a farm that was found actually about a year ago that dates back to around the time of Jesus. And you can see over here on the left, this is not the worked soil. (laughs) You can see it's full of rocks and bushes and weeds, and it's really uneven and kind of tore up. This is not what they were tilling. Then down the middle here, we have the buildings. This is where they would have lived. This is where they would have had stored the grain. And then over here on the right is where we have the actual farm. And see what you can, and see, this is how they would prepare the soil. So it starts out like looking like this on the left. Then they would go into their field over here on the right, and they would start taking all the rocks out. And because they don't have these wonderful vehicles, they don't have you know, golf carts or tractors or anything to haul these rocks away, they're not going to want to carry them very far. And so they just line them up right alongside the edges of the farm. Or they make these uh, lines that go into the farm to either divide different fields or divide um, different crops, and they serve a secondary purpose. See, they would also need to go through and they'd need to take all the weeds and the thorns and all the plants that they really don't want growing in there out. But again, they don't want to haul them particularly far, so they're just going to throw them in with these rocks. They're going to throw them over there, get them out of the way, because where the rocks are, nothing's going to grow there anyway. So we'll just toss it over there. Then they're going to go through and they're going to till the soil. They're going to make it nice and soft, because the way that they planted back then was they didn't go through and poke a bunch of little holes and stick it in and then cover it up and make sure all the seeds are nice. What they're going to do is they're going to throw the seed out there. Um, They're going to scatter it all over the place, and then they're going to let the rain and the settling of the soil take care of it. And so keeping the soil soft was super important. So what they would actually do is, instead of walking around in this field and trampling all the work they just did, they would walk along the edges of this rock. Okay, I think I see what's going on here. They're walking, they have a path, alongside these thorny, weedy trash piles next to the rocks as they're trying to scatter their seed. And so they're walking around with their bag or their basket, and they're going to reach in there and going to throw it out. And they're going to try and get it to cover as much ground as possible without walking on it. Okay, this makes sense. This is how the seeds are falling. 
couple dropping out of their fingers, landing on the, rock, landing on the path. As they're throwing it and spreading it and trying to get nice good coverage, some can pretty easily land among those weeds and the thorns and on the rocks. And what every single good first century Galilean farmer would know is that the goal is to get, it, get as much seed as you can into the good soil. And so what they're hearing as Jesus is telling them this parable is that, hey, right now I am scattering seed. I am sowing. I want this message to land in good soil. You guys are these four types of soils. Three of them are clearly not the good ones. <laughs> One of them is. And so what I want all of you guys to be is not these three types of soil, but I want you to be good soil so that as I'm spreading this message, it's landing in your good soil. So what does it mean to be good soil? What is Jesus trying to tell them? Well, let's look at verse 10. This, the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Remember, this is the first time he's doing this. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Pause real quick. So secrets of the kingdom of heaven here does not mean secrets as in hush, hush, don't tell anybody about this, or as in obscured knowledge. It's more, the, a better translation of this word would be like the mysteries. And if we're looking back at what Jesus was doing, he's trying to tell them about the kingdom, this new kingdom that's so different, so radically different than the way that the kingdoms of the world were running that they weren't understanding it. This is what he's talking about with mysteries of the kingdom. It's mysterious, it's different, it's wonderful, but people are having a hard time getting their minds around it. Play. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But, for, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. I'm telling them in these stories that they will understand. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their, and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, some people use this passage to say that Jesus is using parables to obscure the truth, to hide things for the people in the know. But that's actually kind of the opposite of what Jesus is trying to do here. See, he's referencing back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah being the, here I am, send me guy. Um, and what Isaiah is being tasked with by God is to go tell a very challenging message to the Israelites. And translated in today's, uh, in today's lingo, it would go a little bit like this. Hey, you stubborn jerks. Why aren't you listening to me? I am trying to show you something good. I'm trying to show you what God is doing, and you're choosing to be blind to it. 
I'm saying you need to listen. I'm telling you these words, but if you listen to them, God would heal you. He would change everything for you, but you're not listening to me. You're being too stubborn. You're being too deaf. You won't hear the words I say. And see, the word here that he's using here is actually the the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Shema. And the word Shema has a lot more tied together with it than just this idea of like an auditory hearing. It's used in a pretty similar way to the way that we would use the word listen, as in, I listened to his advice, meaning I heard what he had to say, I thought about it, I internalized it, and then I acted upon it. I listened to him. Or like we use it when we say, hey, please listen to me. That doesn't just mean, hey, hear the words I'm saying. It means hear, understand, and act upon. That is what it means to Shema. And Jesus is saying, this situation, this hearing and not Shema'ing, is happening all over again. These people that he's preaching the kingdom to, that he gave the Sermon on the Mount to, are hearing the words he says. They're, they're surrounding him in these crowds, but they're not shamaing him. They're not understanding him and acting out of that new knowledge. And to be fair, this is not just a first century Israelite problem. This is an us problem too. We often have hard, bad soil. We don't listen to what God has to tell us. And it may not be, and even if you have part of your field, which is great, and you know, you're eating up all the words that God has to say for you, and you're listening and you're growing, but then you got this other side of the field that's uh, not so great, but like, God, you don't need to look over there. That's got some thorns and some rocks, but you don't need to worry about that part. Don't, don't look over here. Or, Maybe your entire field is bad. And as you're, and all the words of God are just bouncing off of you. And they're just not finding purchase anywhere. And there's a lot of different ways that you can end up like that. And not all of them are your fault. See, it's not our fault. It's not always, it is sometimes, but it's not always our fault that we become bad soil. It is our fault if we choose to stay that way. And I can remember a time in my life where my soil got properly wrecked. Over the course of about a year, two storms came through and washed all my topsoil out and just brought rocks and weeds and all this other stuff up to the surface. See, the first storm came through my mom. See, if you guys, I don't, I doubt many of you know my mom, but She's an incredible servant. She has a servant's heart. She loves people well. She would serve people in the church constantly, doing meal trains and hosting fundraisers. And just, she understood radical Christian hospitality in a way that very few people can duplicate. In fact, we used to, we we had a name for it. We we have a name for her. uh, Being, she's the queen of hosting because she just understands hospitality so well. And then back when I was in middle school, she got breast cancer. And it was brutal. Like, bedridden, basically, for months. Hair falling out because of chemo. It took its toll. It was hard on her. 
And it was hard on all of us. And I look at this and I'm like, God, this is how you treat your servants. This is how you love your people. This is how you treat people who show radical hospitality to those around them. That doesn't seem like a loving God to me. This doesn't seem right. And then about a year later, my dad, another incredible servant of the faith, working in ministry since his 20s, putting in tons of overtime, going in early, coming back late, working hard, building leaders for the kingdom, discipling people well. Housing market crashes, he gets laid off. Over the course of a year, breast cancer, layoffs, things start getting tight. Everything my parents had built begins to dwindle to the point where we're about a month away from, we're not making house payments anymore. We're, done, we're, we're selling stuff. We're trying, to get, we're trying to scrape together. We're basically living off gift cards that people from the church gave us. And we're getting down to our last bit before he ends up getting a job. And see, I can look back now and I'm incredibly, and I'm incredibly blessed. You know, my mom's here right now um, and she's doing well. She's been cancer-free for years. And, <laughs> yeah. and my dad is serving up at Valley Real Life and he's just enjoying and loving ministry. But it was, it was storms. It messed up my soil and it brought these rocks to my surface that when, it, when I got into high school and some bad influences threw in just a little bit of weeds and thorns, my soil was dead. It was so bad that it didn't matter what you had to say. I didn't care. I didn't want to hear about God because I didn't want anything to do with the guy. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus talks about here in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone comes and hears the word of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This was me. I was young in my faith. I didn't understand what the kingdom of God was about. I didn't understand how God works through suffering yet. And so when these trials came around, they got snatched away. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Again, this was me. I, I didn't have my own personal abiding relationship with Jesus yet. I just kind of knew about him and apparently didn't know very much about him. And so when the trials came along, it kind of withered and got taken away. As for what was sown, sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, this is still me. I get into high school, football, girls, the desire of a career where I'm going to be able to make a lot of money. These all things choke out the last remnants of my faith. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, hears the word and shamas it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Jesus chooses to explain the parable twice at this point, which is a huge blessing into itself. 
I mean, Jesus normally doesn't do that. And I think that he does it here because he realizes just how important this message is. This is how important having good soil and being willing to receive the message he has for you is, is that he goes out of his way to explain it twice. He's, he's looking at them, and instead of condemning them, saying, you'll never understand, he's saying, please listen to me. I have life for you. I have an amazing kingdom I want you to be a part of, but I need you to listen to me. I need you to receive the message. But right now, you're being stubborn. You're being blind and deaf. You're hearing, but not shamaying. You're being bad soil. So how do we become good soil? How do we address these rocks and thorns? Well, the first thing we need to do is realize that we actually are the soil and we're not a seed. See, it's, we're all tempted with this idea of, you know, if I was just in the right circumstance, if I just got in some good soil, if I just had more money, if I had more time, if I had better influences by my friends, then, then I could listen to God. Then I could receive his message. But that isn't what we are. That's a lie. We're the soil. And we may not be able to control our circumstances. We may not be able to control the, where we find ourselves, but what we are asked to do is control how we react to those circumstances, to react to these trials, to react to these bad things with turning to God and seeing what he has for us. And see, there might, you might be, find yourself being a couple different soils right now. Like maybe you feel like you're in a dry season of your life. You're going through some hardships, you know, whether that's financial hardships or relational hardships, you're, you know, you're in conflict with somebody, or maybe it's expectations that you had that just aren't being met, and you're feeling unfulfilled, empty. Your dreams, they're just not, they're just not panning out like you thought they would. Well, for you and for me, back when I was tilling my soil, we need to do some fertilizing and injecting some organic matter into our soil. We need to inject some life into our soil so that we can receive and hold on to the message God has for us instead of it just constantly slipping away or us getting excited about it and then forgetting about it five hours later. And what that might look like is what I had to do is I kept a journal. My dad actually was the one who challenged me to do it. Go through and write and pray for everything you can think of. And pray, and even though you don't want to pray right now, pray for everything and write it all down and then put boxes next to all of them. And then every single time you see God show up, whether it's itiest, bitty little baby step, like tiniest little step, or it's like a big, nice stride, mark it down. Or even if it's God saying, yeah, no. And you find clarity on something, you mark it down. And then you write it down again and you put another box if you're going to keep praying about it. And then, over the course of a couple months, even if I wasn't happy with the way that God was tilling my soil, because it was painful at times, it became really, really hard for me to say that he wasn't at work, that he wasn't doing stuff in my life, because I had two pages of evidence that he did. So how am I going to refute the evidence that's right there? 
is it gave me something to hold on to. It gave me little bits of life to hold nourishment. Or maybe you're feeling that your soil is really hard. You know, whether it's from suffering, you know, you've been through a lot, you've been trampled on by some folks, or there have been really difficult things that have happened in your life. Your soil has become hard. Or maybe it's, maybe it's become a, a pride thing, as in, I don't need God, I'm doing fine. Or do I really need him? Or something along the lines of, you know, I used to believe in God because there is this huge gap in science and he created everything, and that made sense to me. But the God of the gaps has been getting really small with the way that science has been explaining everything. But God was never a God of the gaps. And so that is just a misunderstanding that is hardening our soil. And so what do we need to do? And then when your soil is hard, what happens? Someone comes along with the word and it bounces right off of you. You fire back with, if they knew what I had gone through, they wouldn't say that. Or, yeah, that's easy enough for you to say. Or, yeah, I hear the word, what you're saying, but I just don't see it. We fire back with, the, with this like armor of falsehood instead of the armor of God, which we've been talking about. And for you, and this is what I had to do, we, had to, we need to do some tilling. And see, tilling is you have to slow down and you need to reflect. You need to pray and you need to start evaluating all of the different things in your life that are making you react to things the way you're reacting to them. Why am I so bitter about this? Why did I fight? Why, what are the narratives that I'm running with that I'm trying to fit everything into because it's more comfortable than dealing with the truth? What are these lies that I'm buying into that just make, make me bitter and angry at everything so that when people bring hope and encouragement to me, I just push them away and bounce them off? And if that sounds like hard work, yes, it is. It's incredibly hard work. But the good news is that it's not something you have to do alone. First century Galileans would know farming, tilling soil, is not a solo gig. It's something you do in family, as a community. You guys come together and help each other till. You guys come together and help each other work your soil. You know, you, and this is what I needed. I needed people who came along in my life and challenged the narratives that I've been saying to call out the lies that I had bought into or to point out the ways that God was working in my life that I was just saying, yeah, I don't, I don't see that. He's like, yeah, but he's doing this. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, this is probably the lessons he's teaching you. And then that slowly wears it down and softens your soil. And you may be thinking, hey, Mitch, yep, Community does sound nice. That does sound helpful, but I I don't have one. So what am I supposed to do? Well, I have some good news for you. Life groups are going to be kicking off here in just a few weeks. And if you're looking for some fellow far... And and new life groups are going to be happening just a week after our other life groups start. And if you're looking for some fellow farmers to come alongside you and till together, to pull out the rocks, pull out the weeds, and get some help, this is a great place to start. And then the, one of the fun parts about life group is then you get to enjoy the harvest together. 
Because even though this is hard work, even though this is challenging, the harvest is so worth it. The kingdom that God is building is so beautiful. It's a kingdom of love, of hope, compassion, healing. A place where when you fall down, when you get knocked down, there's someone there to help you up. And when you want to grow, there's someone there to help guide you and encourage you and help you become the person that God made you to be, which is an incredible, talented person who will bring light and healing to this world. You just have to be willing to receive the seeds. And see, God knew that we have this tendency over time that our soil erodes. It slowly gets worse. And so he built in a regular rhythm for us one that we're supposed to do every time we gather, and that's communion. And so we're actually going to do communion as we move into communion. Uh, We're going to do it a little bit differently today. See, the band is going to come up here and start playing. And instead of us taking communion together, I want you guys to sit right where you are and, and receive the song and ask some important questions. Where in my life do I have thorny, rocky soil? Where in my life do I need to till? What is the message that God has for me to receive? And as you do this, just take your time. And whenever you feel like you're ready to receive what God has for you, whenever you've identified where you need to till, I want you to take communion then. And so... And when you do, it's, it's that powerful reminder. This is the body that was broken to start a new kingdom of hope and life. And this is the blood that was shed for you that is going to bring new life and a great harvest through you. So let's take some time and receive whenever you're ready. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who tills our soil and brings us hope through your message. God, I pray that every single one of us has taken a deep look at where we have some thorns and where is somewhere that we can grow because your harvest is so incredibly worth it. God, we thank you for your son and we thank you for your grace. And it is in your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.